Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for Thursday, December 16th, 2021. On today's episode of the show, we're going to be talking about the latest film and TV news. My name is Ben Pearson. I'm an editor at SlashFilm.com, and I am joined on today's episode by Slash Film staff writer, Danielle Ryan. Hello, hello. Hi, Danielle. I forgot to tell you, everybody does like a little intro thing. I don't know. It's it's a, it's a whole <laughs> deal. Okay. So. Well, h- hello. I am Danielle. Um, <laughs> yes. Welcome for the very first time. We, we appreciate you being here. Yes. Thank you. I, uh, I write. I'm a staff writer at SlashFilm.com. I love writing about It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, Jackass, um, basically anything rude and crude. Uh, <laughs> I'm into it. Uh, somebody called an ambulance outside if you can hear that. Uh, but uh, yeah, I, I love being here. I love getting to learn about all these different kinds of movies that I wouldn't be watching otherwise. And I'm excited to be here today. Yes. Well, you're, you've been doing just totally kick-ass work over at Slash Film. So I encourage people to go to the site and read a bunch of what Danielle's been writing because she's, she's sort of covering anything and everything over there. So uh, definitely seek out her stuff. And let's dive into the news today, Danielle. There's three stories that I wanted to mention, the first of which involves uh, the Marvel Cinematic Universe and uh, the specifically Shang-Chi 2. So the director of Shang-Chi, Destin Daniel Cretton, has said, uh, somebody was asking him in an interview, hey, like if you had your dream cast for Shang-Chi, uh, Shang-Chi 2, because he's coming back to direct that movie, who would you want to appear in this movie? And he said, Jackie Chan. Uh, he said that that would be a, a sort of a, a longtime dream. And he wanted to put that out there into the universe and in the hopes of sort of manifesting that actually happening. So uh, we were talking before we started recording and you have not seen Shang-Chi yet, but you know plenty about Jackie Chan. So what do you make of uh, the idea of Jackie Chan stepping into the MCU? I think it rules. Uh, I think you know, something like Shang-Chi is, I mean, it's already, you know, I, I haven't seen it, but I know that it pays homage to a lot of the old Kung Fu flicks and um, a lot of the old Hong Kong and Chinese action movies. And I feel like Jackie Chan is really at the center of all of that. I feel like having him join the MCU and especially in Shang-Chi 
would just lend it such an authenticity and would take it back to its roots in a way that would be really, really fun. Mm -hmm. Yeah, 100%. Uh, I was trying to figure out what characters or, or character uh, Jackie Chan might play. I mean, this is all theoretical. This is just the director saying, I would love this. This would be cool. But uh, it, it sort of got my brain spinning of like, who could Ch who could Jackie Chan actually play in the sequel? And I was just looking through, um, you know, characters, villains that Shang-Chi has faced off against in the comics. Do you read uh, that corner of, of Marvel comics? Are you familiar with the Shang-Chi comic zone, even though you haven't I am not familiar with that corner. I'm I'm a Daredevil and uh, X Men person. That's kind of my little niche. So oh, cool. but, okay, but yeah, yeah. Tell me, I'm curious who who could he play? Well, I mean, this is just complete speculation on my part. But there's this character called Dark Strider that I thought was pretty cool. He's like a um, he's he, I think he has six arms. Uh, so I'm I'm getting like Goro from Mortal Kombat vibes a little yes. bit. Yes. Uh, and it the the thing that I thought was interesting about this character doing you know the bare minimum of research about him is that his, it's sort of like uh, uh, Heath Ledger's Joker in The Dark Knight where his backstory is super mysterious. Like every time somebody tries to figure out what, you know, where he came from or what happened to him in his past, a different story is told. And I sort of love the idea of Jackie Chan just being like this mysterious force that sort of rolls into the MCU and nobody really knows what he is or where he came from. Um, there's also a character named Mr. Negative. I'm not sure if Mr. Negative has shown up in any of the any of that corner of, of the comics that you've read. I know he's, he's done some, uh, some appearances in like Spider-Man comics. And he was, uh, one of the main villains in the 2018 Spider-Man video game that came out on PlayStation. But, um, he's like a guy who, uh, he's a philanthropist who uh, experiments with a, a drug that basically turns him into, um, like a monochromatic, it's almost like a, a negative of a, uh, of a photograph. Uh, and he has the, the ability to shape shift and like, uh, imbue objects with certain powers and stuff like that. And he's, he's, uh, you know, really good at weaponry and all the super powered things that you would expect from a villain. But um, I kind of love the idea of, of Jackie Chan also being, you know, this like almost like a Jekyll and Hyde type of character where American audiences know him so much as a hero and for him to be able to sort of operate in both realms, I think would be really cool where he's like, you know, half of him is, is a, a good guy who's like this philanthropist. And then the other half, when he gets into villain mode, could be him like facing off against Shang-Chi. So uh, just some, you know, little fun speculation things there. If anybody actually does, you know, any of our listeners, if you're super familiar with that corner of the comics world, I would love your suggestions for who Jackie Chan might be a good fit for. Because, uh, yeah, Daniel and I are not super well-versed in, in that particular part of, uh, of Marvel lore. But um, let's transition into our next story here, which is uh, another kick-ass movie. Um, Danielle, tell me about this. Kick-Ass came out, what, 11 years ago in the original movie? So it's, it's been a little bit. I know that it got a sequel, but now there's talk about uh, another Kick-Ass movie. What's up with that? Yeah, so uh, the first movie dropped in 2010, so it's been a hot minute. Uh, the sequel came out in 2013 and was not quite as beloved as the first movie. Um, but now we might be getting a new Kick-Ass. And instead of uh, going back for Kick-Ass 3, we're looking at maybe getting a reboot. Um, the director of the first Kick-Ass uh, is the same guy that just did um, Kingsman. Yes, Matthew, Matthew Vaughn. Vaughn. Yeah. Yep, Matthew Vaughn. And he recently sat down uh, with comicbook.com and he was like, hey, guess what? I would love to do more Kick-Ass, but I don't really want to return to the same story. Um, 
He wants to do something completely different. Uh, he says that it's so nuts he can't talk about it. Um, recently, Chloe Grace Moretz has uh, gone on record saying she'd be interested in coming back, but that they'd have to get everybody back. And I just don't know if there's that much clamoring for a kick-ass three, but that maybe, maybe a completely new take could do something. Um, yeah, that's interesting. So I think, isn't there precedent for a different character taking over the kick-ass mantle in the comics? Do you know anything about that? I believe so. I believe in some of the later comics um, when they went into like kick-ass two and then even further down the line, I think that there's other um there might even be multiple other kick ass like i know it's a mantle that different people can pick up because it's the idea of a vigilante that's you know just an everyday person so it would be very easy for them to reboot it within the same universe like basically just be like oh yeah that happened 10 years ago but this is the new kick ass um or they could just completely start over and go from scratch and we could be getting just a completely different take on that original content. Well, Matthew Vaughn, you know, he's, uh, he's nothing if not a provocateur. And uh, he said in his comments here, he said something like, it'll cause just as much controversy and everyone will talk about it. And as many people will love it, will hate it. Uh, and he also said, I'm going to need one very, very brave actor or actress to play the new kick-ass because it will scare the shit out of them. <laughs> so, <Yeah. laughs> uh, I mean, I guess that first movie sort of, um, sort of helped, uh, you know, movies like, um, like Deadpool and Logan or sort of earned this hard R rating, but th those were like relatively recent and kick-ass may have been like part of the what, first wave of like real R rated movies. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I remember when kick-ass came out and we were like, it's an R hard R comic book movie. What? And I just remember sitting in the theater, just giggling like, you know, a school child because, <laughs> you know, I'm watching a superhero movie where people are dropping F bombs and doing all kinds of horribly violent stuff. And, and I think, you can look at something like Kick-Ass and it really turns into like James Gunn's work where it goes into Super, where it goes into yeah. Suicide Squad because this it's the same sort of like really in your face, ridiculous idea that's super gross and adults only, but it's still silly superhero stuff. So what do you think about, I mean, I guess because that kind of, that idea is no longer quite as novel as it once was, would you be interested in in returning to this universe? You mentioned like the the second Kick-Ass film was not uh, as well received. I think it's fair to say that movie was outright hated in a lot of corners. Well, I um, think the ending killed yeah. it. Unfortunately, oh, yeah. I think the, the most of it's it's okay. It's basically just trying to take the exact same, but trying to ride what was so great about Kick-Ass uh, into the ground and just turning it up to eleven. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that that kind of hurt it a little bit. And then the ending, you know, forcing a romance where there isn't one is going to upset people every single time. Just don't do it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but I think if they had an interesting take, I would absolutely love to see where they could go with it. Uh, it's just going to be interesting because I, I don't know how you could make a shocking kick ass without really, really pushing the boundaries. Yeah, I'm curious how far uh, Matthew Vaughn is willing to go there. Um, so we'll see. And and he's he's pretty busy these days too. You know, he's got his Kingsman franchise. He's got this new um, Henry Cavill spy movie called Argyle that that has a big cast and a huge budget. I think Apple TV Plus picked that up. 
uh, for like $200 million or something along those lines not too long ago. So he's, he's going to be working on that. That's supposed to kick off a whole new franchise. So we'll have to see if, if this is actually just, uh, you know, Matthew Vaughn and Mark Miller, who who wrote the comic that uh, the, the kick-ass comics, I think both of those guys um, are, are a lot of, they're very much in the, uh, you know, talk a big game camp and like, we'll see where the cards fall and like how much of the stuff that they actually talk about actually ends up getting made. But um, yeah, yeah. He's been talking about another kick-ass for two years already. Um, and he's saying that it's going to be another two years at least because the rights haven't reverted back to him yet. So okay. that's good to know uh, for a timetable. Okay. So yeah. So we're looking 2024 at the earliest, but it could happen. Okay. All right. So speaking of things that might happen, uh, James Cameron, uh, (laughs) he (laughs) might actually make those Avatar sequels that he's been talking about for all of these years. Uh, And there's a recent um, interview sort of uh, variety has this interview series where directors and and artists talk to other directors and artists. And um, James Cameron recently sat down with Denis Villeneuve, the director of Dune for one of these sort of director on director conversations. And one of the quotes that came out of this was really interesting. So Cameron, basically he was, uh, Villeneuve was asking him about streaming and like what James Cameron thinks about that whole world. And James Cameron said, I like change. I'm a child of the sixties. I like it when things are chaotic. I think what we can see is an expanded form of cinema. I want to do a movie that's six hours long and two and a half hours long at the same time, same movie. You can stream it for six hours, or you can go and have a more condensed roller coaster, immersive version of that experience in a movie theater. Same movie, just one's the novel and one's the movie. Why not? Let's just use these platforms in ways that haven't been done before. So uh, yeah, that's kind of an interesting idea. Uh, what were your first thoughts when you heard about this, Daniel? My first thoughts were that he, it sounded sort of dismissive of streaming in general, sort of this, um, you know, oh, you can make a six hour version that's streaming, or you can have this two and a half hour version that you'll super duper pay attention to. Um, But thinking about it a little bit more, I I think maybe he was leaning more towards um, the expansion of ideas, uh, sort of like the uh, the Hateful Eight miniseries that they did on Netflix, where they yeah. took uh, Quentin Tarantino's The Hateful Eight and they broke it up and made it a miniseries. And I've watched it. It's actually it's actually really interesting. It's a very different way to take in um, similar material. And I think that while it's very very interesting in concept, I don't know if it's possible to execute because trying to make a, a story two hours or six hours, it's two completely different ballgames. And whichever one you do first, basically, is going to end up being the better one. And if you, so you do the movie and then you go back in and you add stuff, you'll have a TV version. It just, it it starts Hmm. getting complicated. And I feel like it's um, just putting your hands in too many pots at once. It's just way too much. Yeah, it, it, I mean, it's definitely like the the fact that it hasn't happened yet uh, sort of, I think, speaks to the difficulty of something like this. Um, I don't know. I, I wonder if it is possible, though. It, it definitely would be a totally different experience. And I was talking in our Slack channel about like how obsessive fan culture, I mean, always has been to some degree, but, but really is now. And like the idea of, um, you know, uh, quote unquote, normal audiences, an average audience member, 
hearing about um, you know a, a new project or something and just having the option of whether they wanted to do a full deep dive, you know, nitpicky sort of six hour full immersive experience kind of thing, or if they just want to go to the movie theater and see the two and a half hour version to still be sort of like up on the culture and, and part of the conversation and like what's going on while like the, uh, you know, the nerds us in the corner are over here, like, you know, comparing and contrasting the two. And like, there could be a whole ecosystem of like uh, reactions to, to both of these things or whatever, but like the people who don't have six hours uh, in their, in their day or week or whatever month to spend on this stuff and just want to sort of get in and out and, and do the one thing. Um, I don't know. It, it's like an interesting option. I'm always a fan of, the idea of providing people with the choice and and this seems like the sort of um like logical conclusion of that idea in when it comes to uh telling a story and um you know that we've seen the rise of prestige television and and uh long form and and uh, even like really strong limited series that that sort of like the marvel shows i guess uh i wouldn't necessarily call those super strong but like those feel are about in the six hour range so like you know if you're watching hawkeye for example and you're tuning in week to week and part of you is like ah, i don't know about this this sort of feels like it's dragging a little bit or whatever maybe you could watch the the hawkeye movie that's like the the condensed version or chris evangelista brought up in our slack channel yesterday like the uh, the Hobbit, Peter Jackson's The Hobbit. Maybe mm-hmm. you know there have been like fan cuts where it t- takes all three of those movies and just cuts it down to the one thing, which arguably it should have been originally. And, and right. <laughs> um, so I don't know. What are there any other? Um, what do you make of that? Is I, there? I, do you think I there's any know. value there? I don't know because I I think of the the director's cuts or the extended versions of things that I've gone out of my way to watch over the years, and. Sometimes those extended cuts provide so much more context and so much more information that it's actually a completely different viewing experience. And so you end up having people who could have like really strong disagreements about what a piece of art is supposed to be if they're watching two different versions. And that yeah. that concerns me a little bit. Um, as, as a critic, as somebody who, you know, assesses this stuff for artistic value as well as just entertainment, like from a purely entertainment standpoint, this is great. More power to people, you know, whatever. But when I start thinking about it for films that are, you know, really trying to get a message across or really trying to dig at an emotional root or something and aren't just trying to keep you entertained for two hours mm-hmm. – that's where it starts getting a little dodgy. Because um, I think of, like, specifically Midsummer. If you watch, you know, the theatrical version versus the director's cut, it's two completely different experiences. Really? Oh, man. I saw the theatrical cut. I've not seen the, the director's cut of that one yet. It's much funnier. <laughs> huh. Oh, interesting. Okay. But yeah, you bring up a good point. Because, like, then, you know, once this is come and gone, how do people refer to it, you know, moving forward? Like, it, it's sort of... Uh, it doesn't necessarily level the playing field because now like, do you have to just constantly provide context for which version of the thing you're talking about moving forward? And like, uh, you know, this is assuming that like this idea actually takes off and becomes widely used outside of just James Cameron projects or whatever. Um, but I think that's sort of like what we're talking about here is just like the, the basic idea behind his, his suggestion here. Um, but yeah, that, that does raise an interesting complication of like, okay, you, anytime you mention a thing that was released this way, you have to specify the version that you saw or that you're referring to because 
yeah, context could change so dramatically that like the point you're trying to make might not even be valid, you know, if you're if you're referencing the wrong one, you know. Right. I mean, like, just look at the different versions of Blade Runner. If you say, oh, yeah, I watch Blade Runner. The first thing somebody's going to ask you is, oh, which cut? Yeah, yeah that's true. <laughs> so it, you're basically taking that and extending it and and turning it into something even more incredibly different because, you know, like I said, two hours versus six hours is just an incredible difference in in time and storytelling. Um, I think it's interesting, but I am, I'm nervous. I'm a little nervous, a little hesitant. Um, but then at the same time, you know, we may never even get these Avatar movies. So it's fine. <laughs> yeah, James Cameron, uh, you know, he, he's another one of those guys that talks a lot about doing stuff. And, um, you know, I, I, I don't want to underestimate him. Uh, it just has taken quite a long, long time for him to actually get these things up and off the ground. And I, I do think we're actually going to see these movies eventually. Uh, whether or not they get delayed again uh, remains to be seen. But um, but yeah, and, and whether or not he actually decides to spend some time working on this thing or if he was just throwing this out as a hypothetical that maybe other filmmakers might latch onto, and then like whether or not other filmmakers would be better equipped to handle something like that than James Cameron himself. That's a that's a whole other conversation, I guess. So uh, very much depends on the filmmaker, I think. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, like just... I, I was about to wrap this up, but like Barry Jenkins just popped into my head and I've not seen the Underground Railroad yet, but knowing what I know about that story and about him as a director, I can definitely see him doing something like this where making a, a shorter sort of almost like punchier version of a thing and then actually having the time to sort of, uh, uh, I don't know, relish the the slow um, reveal of like digging it more into character and things like that. I could I could see maybe in a world where a streamer has a ton of money to spend and, and wants to to make a big splash giving Barry Jenkins or somebody like that uh, a bunch of money to try something like this. So yeah, I'm, I'm curious if this will ever actually become a thing or if it's just uh, you know the the crazed ramblings of James Cameron. So. See, now you've got me thinking about Maniac, the... Uh, the- yeah, oh yeah. The Netflix series. show? The, the Netflix um, show, yeah. Barry the... Fukunaga. Yeah, well, wow. Well, so, Danielle, what did you think about Maniac? Because I feel like that's a show that I watched when it came out and really loved it and tried to talk that up a little bit. But I feel like that show sort of landed on deaf ears. Like, I, you're one of the only people that I know now who's even brought it up in conversation. Oh, I loved it. I, I thought it was phenomenal. Um, it's, it's such a great unusual just it, it it's so different from anything else on tv mm-hmm. like it, it really and it's really challenging so i think you know some people probably didn't enjoy the fact that it's not the happiest ride for you know 10 hours mm-hmm. or eight hours whatever it is um but i'm trying to think of like if you could condense that into two and a half hours and i'm like you'd lose so much like that's my biggest thing is i feel like you'd lose something in translation going either direction yeah, it would definitely be like a full-blown experiment in storytelling and like effectiveness of like, can you translate the core of a thing, the essence of the idea that you're trying to get across in an effective way in two and a half hours, and then like really languish and sort of, um, or maybe languish is the wrong word, but really luxuriate almost in in mm-hmm. the longer uh, the longer pacing and sort of build things out and have the story be not that much different. Cause that's, that's the thing is like, if the, the narrative changes a ton, then you're creating those problems we talked about where like right. the, the story itself is like almost, uh, you, you almost can't have a conversation about it if you see the two different versions. But um, maybe if like the, the true heart or essence of the thing is there uh, in both versions, then um, 
yeah, interesting stuff to think about. So uh, I think that's going to bring us to the end of today's episode. Danielle, before we go, where can people find you on the internet? Um, you want to tell people like where you're writing and your Twitter handle or something like that? Yeah, absolutely. So you can find most of my writing at Slash Film. Um, but if you are looking for my more off the cuff idiot ramblings, then you can find me on Twitter at Danny Rat, D-A-N-I-R-A-T. But other than that, yeah, just keep your eyes peeled on Slash Film. I'm there all the time. Awesome. Well, thanks for coming on. We'll definitely be having you back and we're going to slowly be introducing more of the new writers onto the podcast and just sort of like working you guys into a, a frequent rotation. So I, I look forward to, to chatting with you again sometime very soon. So um, yeah, that's going to bring us to the end of today's episode of Slash Film Daily. You can find more about all the stories that we mentioned on today's show at SlashFilm.com and linked inside the show notes of this episode. Slash Film Daily is published every weekday, bringing you the most exciting news from the world of movies and TV, as well as deeper dives into the great features you can find on the site. You can subscribe to the show on Apple, Google, Overcast, Spotify, all the popular podcast apps, and send your feedback, questions, comments, concerns, mailbag topics, and... Uh, Jackie Chan casting suggestions to us at peter at slashfilm.com. Make sure to leave your name and general geographic location in case we mention your email on the air. Don't forget to rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts. Tell your friends, spread the word. Thank you all for listening, and we will talk to you tomorrow. <laughs>